throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis. It's time to consider the possibilities. Good evening and welcome to Things Worth Considering for a weekly talk show. And we present ideas for you to ponder, ideas that perhaps you're going to disagree with, and things that are worth considering. I'm your host, Gord Riddell. My co-host, Alexia Georgiousis, is not with us this evening, uh, but she will be back next week. Uh, tonight, though, we have uh, a guest. He's returning, uh, and that is Mr. Sebastian Glass. Um, he's been my guest on the show before, and we're going to be discussing mysticism, uh, which is pretty, uh, pretty trendy these days. Uh, in particular, Christian mysticism, uh, which I happen to find quite, uh, quite fascinating. Sebastian is a spiritual director. He is also a Reiki master. Uh, he has a graduate background and degrees in philosophy and theology. Sebastian is moved by the way that people relate to their own physical, emotional, and spiritual energies and how they connect with other people's energies. He's especially interested in people that when faced with a spiritual experience, the wisdom that they have gained through such an interaction. But Sebastian shares his abilities and interests in uh, teaching others to explore their own abilities through courses in psycho-spiritual development. Sebastian is currently a faculty instructor, and he also works in administration here at Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training in Toronto. Sebastian, Recording welcome. stopped. Okay, that was the wrong button. Recording in <laughs> progress. <laughs> That's that's going to be crazy making, but I can't do anything about it. Uh, so here we are. I know. What can I say? Sebastian, welcome. Um, I'm glad you have a sense of humor. Um, so mysticism. Let's start by defining, you know, what, what, what is that supposed to mean? You know, because I know it exists like in all of the world major faith traditions. Judaism, we call it the Kabbalah. In Islam, it's uh, the Sufism. Uh, people will know it though, but I think it's slang, which is like the whirling dervishes. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Hindu, you have the whole guru traditions, you know, which is like really quite fascinating. And um, in cultural traditions, you've got shamans, indigenous healers, medicine people. And then there's also then there's the mediums and channelers. All of those have some level of mystical, at least in my idea. Or the tradition of the old mystery schools as well. So what are we talking about when we talk about mysticism? It's a great question, and it's a very broad field, isn't it? It has uh, many yeah. cultural implications throughout time. Um, mysticism, to my thinking at least, has to do with a particular kind of sensitivity that some people possess where they can access what might be considered the deep undercurrents uh, undercurrent knowledge that permeates the world. It might materialize or manifest itself through matter, through uh, conversation, through engagement with people. It can show up in many different ways, but it tends to communi communicate itself in a very personal way to the receiver in a way that feels or the sense is that it's beyond them and they're receiving information from beyond themselves, like a transcendent horizon. Okay. Okay. So, hmm, that's interesting. All right. Uh, so someone's channeling something, for instance, 
then that would fall into that category. I think it would. I think it's, that's a particular manifestation of the, what we might call a higher current energy streaming through a person, engaging or blending perhaps with their own personal consciousness, such that information that is beyond their particular capacity gets communicated. And it seems a little uh, uncanny when it happens. The experience is often, I don't know where that came from. I don't know how I know that. I don't know what, what this actually I don't know means. what I'm saying. That I, I'm like that all the time. <laughs> no idea what I'm saying. Um, now, now, Christianity, though, doesn't have like a, a category here. You know, like mm. I, I just mentioned, you know, sort of some of the, the more common ones like Kabbalah and Judaism or, you know, Sufism uh, in Islam. But Christianity, they're pretty secretive about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and there's a good reason for that. I think the original Gnostic movements in the early few centuries of the church's life, the Christian church's life, that is, um, was really pressed in on by the emerging institutional faith because the Gnostics, and there was many um, variations of Gnosticism, but the underlying commonality was simply that an individual could have direct access of the divine. And uh, that, that goes against their theology, right. doesn't it? <laughs> and that didn't always go very well, because when something comes through, it has to be measured against what they call technically the deposit of faith, that which has been handed down through um, scriptures, through the tradition, as understood and, and interpreted by the authority figures of the age. And you mean the men? Mostly. Yeah. Um, I think there were very few women involved in that. <laughs> there was no women involved, come on. <laughs> but th there, therein lies the reason, I suspect, why a lot of the, the Christian mystical tradition tends to have a very a very precarious path because it has to be open on the one hand to this kind of influx of higher form information and yet to be part of the Christian tradition, they know that it's going to be watched over. There are many um, mystics who didn't do very well by honoring the messages that came through for them, the insights that came through for them. Um, they dared to communicate it in a variety of ways and the authority of the church felt that it was heretical it was uh, unorthodox and dangerous. So it got right. suppressed. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's just that whole control piece that, you know, before, before 1500s, you know, the, the church, which is actually the Catholic today church. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, until, until Martin Luther comes along, you know, we don't have anything different. Uh, but you can't study, for instance, European history without studying the church. You can't. I no. mean, it is the church is European history, you know, yes. from from uh, you know the the, the 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 pope picking kings to you know all kinds of stuff. Uh, they were so politically involved, and it was men only, mm -hmm. uh, obviously white men only, uh, <laughs> because it's European, you know. Uh, so it, it really, I mean, it's just like how old, you know, the suppression goes back. It has been almost since day one, and day one really for for the, for Christianity really is like 326, you know, AD, right? When Constantine makes it the the uh, official uh, uh, the official religion of Rome, in order to save his wife, right? Because she became a Christian and behind behind his back, 
good for her. Uh, right. So, so Christianity got some some you know uh, elevation from the you know the Roman emperor. Um, but, anyways, it's it's us you know the, we really have to understand just how powerful this organization was, and it's still trying to be as powerful. Um, you know, and it's, it, this isn't to take away from anything, but. You know, I, I just I have trouble when politics and spirituality try to sleep together. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very messy affair. Very messy affair. Okay, so okay, so we have we have people that are trying and not doing so well. We have people that became very famous uh, probably years after they've they've gone. We're going to talk about names later. We're going to name the names, um, but you know what they must go through though. What's how is this comparable to say what we talk about with the dark night of the soul, or or even Jung talked about with doing shadow work, mm-hmm. in order to to bring yourself to a point of being you know in the light to explore the light. Where does that exist here? Well, I love that connection, and I think a lot of us can relate to the sense of the dark night in everyday life. And what I mean by that is there will come times in our life where we'll feel inspired in a particular direction, not knowing where the inspiration is. We might even feel compelled uh, uh, in a particular direction and feel that I've not heard anybody say that before. My family doesn't believe that. My church doesn't teach that. And yet I have this powerful sense of knowing or awareness. And the one of the trademarks of mysticism Uh, particularly the Christian tradition, is that it wants to extend itself and share itself. It's like um, information that wants to be passed on, but there are risks involved. So uh, traditionally, people have actually been, um, well, it has not been a, a very easy journey for a lot of these men and women in the past because the sense of truth that emerges, and of course, their pursuit is truth ultimately, when it emerges in a very unique way in that particular time and space, often runs athwart what has been uh, considered conventional institutional wisdom. That's safe. And that's not untrue even of today. Look at the world we live in right now. We have deep intuitions about certain things, and yet we're getting messaging from our institutions that might contradict that. And we find ourselves in this very tense, precarious place. It's not easy to walk a fine line there Um, So I think it was quite similar for the Christian mystics uh, throughout the ages. But of course, their life was on the line in a very serious way. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 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 So why is it important then that someone say with specifically will stay with the Christian mystic for them to confront their own shadow selves? Well, just like in spiritual direction, when a person is feeling... Uh, led in a particular direction, one of the things that we would do is we'd ask them to look honestly at what's going on with them. How much of the interpretation of their experience is entangled with their own personal history in a messy, untidy way. In other words, (laughs) I'm sorry, I love, I love just that choice of words, you know, I'm sorry, (laughs) but I think your connection is messy and untidy. Uh, Go back to your room and clean it up. Right, um, <laughs> which is a metaphor, really. <laughs> it, it's a good metaphor, actually, for us. So, uh, for example, when a when a Christian person, when a Christian is having a, what we might call a mystical experience, and it comes out in a way that doesn't doesn't measure up nicely against what they've been taught, 
So suddenly they have to really question that. And it's a process of discernment. How much of what I'm interpreting of my experience is really wedded to my conflictual relationship with my father, my conflictual relationship with my church, my conflictual relationship with whoever. Myself. Um, yeah. Yes, with yourself. And that means you have to really go and do some really honest searching to make sure that you're discerning things in a way that's honest and true and authentic so that you don't compromise the integrity of your message. And that's something that a spiritual directee would want to learn how to do with their director. It's not any different for the Christian mystic and all, almost all of them, Gord, had spiritual directors. That was very much the way things worked out. Most of them were religious, uh, that is practicing yes. religious nuns, priests. So therefore they would definitely have had spiritual directors overseeing their experience. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that that whole role of, of, you know, having the mentor Mm-hmm. It, it's just such an important one that can, you know, it, it doesn't matter whether you're, whether you're dealing in psychotherapy, where we call them a supervisor or, a, you know, a director. Um, it really is helping people to, to see that, in fact, there's a mirror being held up very often. Very you know, much so. But can they recognize it? That's or, just a, are they pointing outwards or are they pointing and seeing the reflection coming back? Which is scary and uncomfortable but must be confronted. And the mystics would have had to have done that and often would have had a lot of doubt, particularly when the church that they served was putting pressure on them to either be silenced um, or to not say things in a particular way. Um, and that can be very frightening and confusing. Why, for example, why would God communicate this to me if the church disapproves or disagrees? How right. can I balance that, that tension? Well, and there, of course, there's always a, that piece that those that came up with new ideas, you know, yeah. uh, I'm thinking of Augustine, for instance, uh, his, you know, everything is then taken to a council and the council, Nicene, what, you know, on and on, all these things, you know, people are going to, you know, judge it, talk about it, rip it apart. And, and you're the sole, you know, you're the sole deliverer of this mm-hmm. message that these old guys are going to sit around and go, well, that's crap, you know, right. uh, and will it be able to survive? Fortunately, Augustine survived, uh, mm-hmm. you know, quite a bit of his, his writings. But, um, you know, there's a comparability here, I think, too, that, uh, from Carl Jung, uh, you know, our, our uh, beloved, you know, one of our fathers, let's put it that way, right. of, of, psych- yeah. of psychology, one of. Um, but the, the whole idea of the shadow that he talks mm-hmm. about, you know, the shadow scares the hell out of people. They're like, sure. oh, my God, what's in there? You mm-hmm. know, and yet there's actually some pretty amazing things come out of our shadow. Sometimes cold. You bet. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, don't, I think that people think that it's just like, you know, my, my uh, serial killer is going to come, come out <laughs> with, it, with a, you know, an Uzi or something. When, in <laughs> fact, you know, it's the things that we, we weren't allowed to claim uh, yes. For whatever reason, growing up, it dwells in the shadow. Mm-hmm. You know, an example would be, you know, you might have a strong musical interest, sure. but your parents didn't know anything about that. They didn't do piano lessons. They didn't have a piano or, you know, anything like that. And and so, you know, that that wonderful interest and in potentially, you know, an ability is lying there in wait. You know, just mm-hmm. waiting, waiting. So. We have to go to a break here, 
Um, but we're going to come back and finish talking about the shadow and mysticism. We'll be right back. You're listening to Things Worth Considering with uh, Sebastian Glass. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back to Things Worth Considering. Uh, we're talking about uh, mysticism. We're talking about Christian mysticism. Uh, but actually right now what we're doing is we're talking about Carl Jung's shadow. Well, not his his concept, you know, his idea, uh, not his particular shadow. Um, you know, I, I really wanted to, like, underscore the fact that given an opportunity to have, you know, a chance to do shadow work is, I think, a gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because we really don't have as much scary stuff as we do brilliant stuff mm-hmm. that... If our parents didn't know, our teachers didn't know, you know, there wasn't somebody, and that's that whole mentorship, isn't it? Somebody wasn't there to mentor us in, in certain areas. It's just sitting in the shadow, mm-hmm. you know, and it, right. it'll come out. Right. So I love that idea. There, when I talk to the students about the shadow, I often emphasize that there are, there's gold worth mining for sure. Yeah. And there are uncomfortable truths as well. But owning those, bringing those into the light can give one a sense of power because the shadow does exact a kind of influence on our conscious life, whether we know it or not. Yeah. So to own that, for example, if I'm harboring deep resentment that never gets expressed, it could be creating a lot of momentum in my psychic life without me realizing it. It can manifest in my work, in my relationships, in all kinds of... In your body. Sure. As illness, absolutely. Primarily in your body, I would think. Yeah, it is. So if if we're going to be a conduit for higher forms of consciousness, which is really what we're talking about here in a general sense, then that's going to come through... Uh, like a stream and our conduit's going to be full of perhaps 
um, conflicts and tensions and in our body and our mind and our emotional life. And that will mean that we interpret that information in, in a way that's rather skewed, perhaps skewed in a way that needs to be honestly examined. And I think to bring it around to the Christian mystic, they had to confront that possibility because the Christian mystic would know from their own teaching that they are flawed, sinful human beings. That's part of the territory that they would have been shaped by. So when conflict arises, they have to look at their vulnerabilities, their weaknesses, their shadow selves. They would have used different terms at the time, but it's quite true. And I think it's healthy for us to dare to look the devil in the face if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the inner life that we haven't dared to actually address so that we can release things and be more free and liberated in our lived experience. I think that some of the, some of the stuff that we'll come up against is, is like, who am I to deserve to be, you know, the recipient or the, the conduit to bring in some sort of information, you know? Right. Like, I'm just like me, you know? So I think there's a lot of, you know, self-esteem things, the... Uh, who do you think you are? You know, you're getting a little too big for your britches there, boy. Uh, you know, those kinds of, of things that were highly impactful to us. Yeah. It actually keeps us in our silence, too. You know, so the idea that we're going to share something is going to bring even just a self-esteem issue. Forget like big, you know, serial killer stuff. Just your self-esteem issues will be brought to the surface. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so true. Even in my own personal experience of receiving messages on behalf of others, it feels that does come up for me. I, I, I question it. I doubt it simply because, as you said, who am I to have some uh, special insight for someone? Yeah, I don't a mystical do. experience. But, yeah. And yet, yeah. when you dare to deliver it in an honest, forthright way with some discretion and a, a bit of discernment and see the benefits of how that lands in a very healing, uplifting way for someone, you start to realize that you are in fact participating in something much larger than you and you're invited to do so. It, right. But it can be risky. And I think the Christian mystic would have felt that. Surely they would have felt that. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that uh, sometimes when we're working, for instance, uh, in the past when I have done uh, family sculpting, in, mm. in intensives and so on in, in the recovery uh, rehabs that I've worked in. Um, you know, sometimes the people, you know, let's say you're doing the piece uh, about your growing up or whatever. And, and it's like, okay, I want, would you play my dad? Would you play my mom? Would you play, you know, and we we're creating this photograph, you know, like lock in time. It's a very common thing. Virginia Satir is, is our hero with this. Um, and, you know, the, the, to watch it unfold and come together, you just know somewhere something is directing this and you're being directed to make this flow in certain ways. And so then when you do a debrief at the end of the whole experience, the people who were like asked to just stand there as mom or just to yes. say a certain line as dad will often say that it was more impactful than when they actually did their own piece. Yes. You know, yes. and all they're doing is role playing. They don't know who these people are. That you know, it's just, they're like stand-ins. You know, uh, body doubles, and that's and that's it. You know, I, I mean, I've seen guys play. Say it's only guys. I've done a, a few of those, and uh, it's like, would you play my mom? You know, kind of thing. And they're like, whoa, that gave them huge insight into their own mothers. Right. By simply standing there, you know, and saying, "What a good boy." Mm-hmm. Whatever it could be, anything. 
you know. Uh, so it's um, it's quite fascinating when you we talk about sort of that energy that we can tap into, because I think that if people if people would be open to it, to open to the possibilities that in fact we are all being in some way, shape, or form influenced or guided or directed. Yes. Somehow. Yes. And some of that is subterranean energies that we're not aware of. And I think there are multiple levels and we're attuned, perhaps even habitually attuned to receiving impulses and directions from a, a number of different streams, you know? Yes. Being aware of that can be very helpful. And in fact, we could practice tapping into particular streams because there are benefits for doing so, depending on what your motivation is, what you want for your life. Um, while on the other hand, we might unwittingly fall into default positions. You know, perhaps we spend a lot of time in an angry vibe and that's often informing everything we do and it's kind of saturates our experience and we emit that. Um, without examining that and pulling that up out of the shadow into the light, if I can use the metaphor, and looking at it honestly, we might very well be a slave to that for the rest of our life. Yes. And, but there's healing, right? There's healing. I love that idea. Nothing can be, what's the idea? Nothing can be healed that's in your shadow until it is offered into the light. I think that comes from the Course in Miracles, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So you have to offer it willingly to the light. It's a beautiful metaphor, but that means- Absolutely. Shame, you know, it's like our shame lives sure. in our darkness. Mm. Oh, so true. You know, it thrives in darkness. Absolutely. But, you know, as soon as we even just share our secrets, and, and this is one of the things I've really worked with, is, is that we're only as sick as our secrets. Amen. Now, that's a big difference between privacy and secrecy. You know, right. secrecy has all of that language around, oh, my God, if they only knew, if they knew, if they ever found out about this, you know, and it could be something when you were eight years old and you stole a chocolate bar, you know, but it was such a shaming experience. So it's traumatized. Sure. And and it, unless someone speaks it, it will always live in the dark and it will influence us. Yeah. You know, it will just keep shame in all kinds of areas, you know, about whether it's body shame, sexual shame, relationship shame. You know, it's always in, it's always in conjunction with another. It could yeah. be shame about a relationship with what you perceive God to be. Oh, isn't that true? And the yes. concept of God, which has kind of become institutionalized in many ways, the, yes. the, the, the mystic has the capacity to reach beyond that, and sometimes daringly, and conceive of God in other genders, in other forms, with different kinds of language that can feel a little threatening to the, the status quo. And right. I think that's very healthy though, because it shows the creative plastic capacity of that very lofty idea, because it is in fact an idea and it functions as such and it orients us. So what you believe about the idea really does lead us in a particular way. So searching the self and moving forward from there in an honest way, um, sometimes we don't even know where we're going. I mean, let's be fair. <laughs> uh, the dark night, for example, is really the sense of being lost, where God yep. is absent, where my sense of self previously um, held to is gone. Yep. Um, it can be very disorienting, but yet there's a lot of healing potential in those, uh, those passages and they need to be embraced, but they also need to be supported by people who have done the journey, who know the territory 
And I think it's really important, and we're coming back now to mentorship and the essential, um, the essential relationship one wants to have with mentors. And you have them whether you know them or not. I mean, there are always people we want to model, people we admire. Um, you know, our, our culture is full of people we celebrate. We call them celebrities for a reason, um, for better or worse. So there's <laughs> always that. Yeah, the Christian mystic would have had that predominantly in the form of Jesus Christ. And that's a, a pretty hard act to follow. And yet people try and spend their life trying to. Yeah. And, and really, all we have are the stories from others. Mm -hmm. No one really knows anything about this. Right. Right. There's a lot of people who pretend they do. But the fact is, they don't. You know. Um, so... Where do we go here then? Because I, what I'm hearing is someone who's like, okay, well, yeah, I've been dealing with myself and I'm getting really clear and I'm, you know, I'm a mystical shaman. Where's spiritual bypass come in, into this? Because that uh, concerns me a lot. That's a great question. So bypassing, I, I've had this with, oh, with occasional directees where they really felt that in order for them to be genuinely spiritual, they couldn't be angry. They couldn't mm. be mad at anything, particularly God. Oh, that Do you mean that human? Way. Oh, yes, to be human. Yes, I know. To be human. So, yeah. But the resistance to that, that belief system is so um, stringent that occasionally people don't return when I encourage them that, that that's part of their spiritual journey to reclaim that territory and to bring that up because they're so convinced that that painful, dark place cannot be part of a spiritual path because then they're not spiritual beings because to be a spiritual being is to be all love and light it's all positivity it's all abundance and and those are definitely aspects of the spiritual journey but they're not the only aspect and in fact i would say that it's a very lopsided way of moving to the world when all you're doing is pursuing the pleasures of spiritual the spiritual journey right and, and not looking at the gold that can be mined from the shadow side of your life because sometimes there's beauty there if you just dare to confront it and to stand with it for a little while. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. I think, I think that the spiritual bypass feels like they're actually doing something. They're getting ahead or, you know, whatever. And it's just, it really is just another form of delusion, mm -hmm. which, you know, which is unfortunate. It's also very difficult to call. Yeah. You know, it's like, our language is such that, you know, I can say that you're acting unethically, but rarely would I ever say you're acting immorally. Right. Because morals come out of religion, mm. you know, and, and you know, so to act immoral. But to say that you're acting unethically, well, that's, you know, a totally different thing. So I think the same thing happens when, you know, it's like, I, I think you're in spiritual bypass. And it's kind of like, you know, don't judge my place in my pathway. You know, uh, and it's true that we don't want to do that. This isn't about judgment, but I think that discernment continues. That word comes up. And that's where we need the senior people, our elders, our mentors, to, to be able to just to honestly say, yeah, you maybe need to like just swing a little bit to the left on this pathway. <sighs> You know, and, and not to be offended, because to be offended is to own our delusion. Mm. 
I can only, if I really truly believe that I have this, you know, this relationship with whoever's talking to me, you know, um, then I'm a little bit deluded as to its, its origin and its source, as far as I'm concerned. Does that make sense? It does. As you're speaking, I'm, I'm getting this idea of something that I've actually struggled with in my own life, but I've seen it in many others who are in the spiritual journey. And it is, I could put it this way, how much can I trust my body, my physical form? The, the, the form that seems to have betrayed me countless yep. times, the form whereby I got so wounded and so hurt somewhere along the way. Sometimes it's even uncomfortable to be in our bodies because of our trauma stories, because of our histories. So when you're receiving these great insights that we're alluding to tonight, they, it comes through the physical experience as much as anything. So you sure. have to be able to be okay with that. What if your impressions, what if your experiences are sexual in nature or erotic is perhaps a better way of saying it. And yet you have this very dark relationship with the eros of your past. What happens right. if, if uh, the wound that you experienced is keeping you from acknowledging and administering perhaps to the woundedness in another person who reflects that just a little bit too keenly and you shirk that and move away. Um, so coming into your spirit. Now you've wounded two people. You've re-wounded yeah. yourself and you've wounded the people or person well, you're trying to help. Isn't that, that's so the case, isn't it? Yeah. So the spiritual journey can be uncomfortable and it needs to be if you want liberation. So that means confronting the whole person and trusting all of your being. And that means reestablishing a relationship with your physical form, your emotional life, your psychological life. That might be your sexual with, life. You, you know it. Very absolutely, true. absolutely. I have to uh, make us uncomfortable. Otherwise, they're <laughs> going to make us uncomfortable and we need to take a break here. We'll be back on the other side of these commercials. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic healthcare, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to Things Worth Considering, and we are here with Sebastian Glass, and we're discussing mysticism, specifically 
Christian mysticism. I love it because it doesn't have a category. You know, mm-hmm. it's like like it's not Kabbalah, it's not you know Sufism. It's like let's not talk about it too loud, okay? Um, uh, so it it has that element of secrecy to it. But I think what we've been talking about in the last two segments, you know, is it it somehow reinforces because you don't want to stand out. It reinforces that. You know, maybe you're not really getting a clear message. Maybe the shame that you're carrying is really going to play out here because the institutional politicized religion is is going to, is sitting there ready to dump on whatever you're working with, you know. Um, and there are lots of mystics that have nothing to do with the church that might even identify as being Christian. And sure. their church, though, is somewhere out in the woods, it's with like-minded people. It's a drumming circle. It's whatever it needs to be. But there's a lot of people that are not religious, but very spiritual. You know? So, yeah, we need to really clarify that, you know, this doesn't belong with any exclusivity. Now, the people that we're talking about, though, uh, that have been identified throughout the years, you know, like throughout the centuries, actually, date way back to like a thousand 98 to 1500s, uh, the newest one actually, 19, uh, 1899. Uh, I, you know what? Let's, let's name names. Uh, <laughs> no more hiding. Hildegard. Uh, boy, she disappeared in like 1179. That's a few years ago. You know, Francis of Assisi. You know, I went to Assisi. That oh, was, you did? Uh, oh, yeah, I've been in Assisi. Very interesting place, very mystical. Uh, just the energy that's there. It was, it was like phenomenal. Um, Meister Eckhart. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that familiar with him. I know the name. Uh, Julian of Norwich. Uh, Teresa mm-hmm. of Avila. She's famous. Very uh, famous. Very famous. And John of the Cross is also very, very famous. famous. Well. And they were buddies, yes, uh, they if were. I recall. And then, of course, there's Teilhard de Chardin, uh, 1899 know. to 1955. Yes. Um, so... Who do you want to talk about? Well, Why should I know any of this? We don't have all the time in the world. I'd love to talk about Tegad because Tegad de Chardin is one of my favorite. He's a bit of a hero of mine, and he came into my life in a very mysterious way, which I won't. Is get this into biased? Um, but um, <laughs> but he um, also very much had a struggle with the church of his age as well because it, I think it was in the 1930s, if I'm not mistaken, he dared to write an essay, theological essay, uh, that what's technically called Christology or the movement of Christ through time with what had, was emerging as evolutionary theory. And he held that those two things are just two different language games talking about the same thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was very cutting edge and the church would have none of it. So they slapped his wrists and banned him from writing anything theological for the rest of his life but he was allowed to write scientific papers. So he went into self-imposed exile uh, into China because he was a, a paleontologist, archeologist. And, uh, but the point I want to get at here was he was receiving these incredible messages from God, he believed, that was opening his insight into how evolution was moving everything forward in a very unitive way. And yet the church that he was serving, that he committed his life to, was hampering 
all of that information from being shared and delivered with people. So he had this very conflicted relationship with the church of his time. The interesting thing is the Jesuits, he was a Jesuit priest, the Jesuits secretly amongst so themselves, they uh, circulated his papers because he did continue to write, you know, um, quietly. Sure. And yep. uh, once he died, they uh, promulgated his papers and they became very, very popular eventually after his death. And even uh, the, the uh, what was it, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth um, applauded his efforts to make the connection between science and religion at the time he did. So uh, you know it was way after his death, but I love the idea that he dared to communicate his thoughts, his ideas, his mystical insights, and they're gorgeous. His, his writing is beautiful, um, but it was very conflictual for him because sure. he did love the church. And so, what do you do? Yeah, you get kicked to the curb, right? Yes. I mean, uh, Look at Hans, uh, Hans Kung. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was, you know, he was kicked to the curb. Uh, he was a professor. He was an ordained uh, a priest, professor in Germany. And uh, a, little, a little bit like a reenactment of Martin Luther. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, again, you know, it's like, you know, we don't, we don't like what you're saying. So, therefore, you can't say. But most religions operate that way. You know, uh, even 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 some of the, the the newer religions, you know, like Jehovah's Witness, you know, talk out of line and they're just going to like you're you're they're at the door and nobody's yeah. allowed to talk to you. It's horrible. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to actually I'm going to be talking about a little bit about not how horrible it is, about sort of the 1800s is actually a very fascinating spiritual revolution that people don't realize how many religions are born in the 1800s really? at the same time medicine is being born yes i'm putting in a plug for next week's show already uh but but it's quite fascinating it's quite fascinating everybody from the mormons to the Jehovah's witness to uh christian science uh spiritualism uh, on and on and on seventh-day adventists uh mm -hmm. are all taking place in the 1800s you know so and these were often going to be people that, and of course, Madame Blavatsky. Theosophy. Ah, that's who I was thinking of, yeah, too. Yeah, theosophy. But she was a spiritualist, and yeah. she got thrown out of the spiritualists, right? Uh -huh. Because they didn't like her idea of the outer space stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting, you know, if you don't toe the line, you risk being thrown out, mm -hmm. you know? And then, of course, years later, it's like, oh, my God, she was so smart. <laughs> so there's you know? a danger of being ahead of our time, isn't there? There is, there is, because of our, our meaning collectively, our entrenchment in not wanting to change. You know, our status quo of this is what I believe. Don't screw with it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, don't make me, don't make me do, you know, uh, an examination of why do I believe that, or you know, how does this affect me, or whatever. I don't care. I just want to know that when I wake up in the morning, I wake up, I can both feet will get me to stand up and I can get my coffee. You know, mm -hmm. uh, there's a whole world out there that lives that way. Right. You know, uh, now they're not going to be listening to our show, um, but I hope <laughs> they will eventually, you know, uh, as, as things change. So um, now Teresa um, of Avila, quite yeah. fascinatingly, was in a lesbian relationship. I didn't know that. Yes, yes, you did. I gave you something on that, didn't I? You did. I did. Yes, you didn't want to say it on. Oh my <laughs> God! Did we just out her? The yeah. Catholic in me. She she died fifty <laughs> in fifteen eighty two. I think she'll be over it. Uh, 
but uh, and she was she was very close friends with John of the Cross. But mm-hmm. she had her partner. Uh, no matter where Teresa went, her partner was always always with her, and they were buried together. And and they're actually you can yeah they're they're buried together, and you can go to her her, her tomb, and you will see the two two likenesses, you know, the two women that are there. Quite fascinating, quite fascinating. And yet, and, and that was fine right up into the 1700s when all of a sudden they, they you know, again, made some decision to the men that same-sex relationships was a, just a big no-no and we're still fighting with it to this day. You know, the influence is staggering. Yet, mm-hmm. yet Teresa and John of the Cross are highly revered as, as mystics, you know, in, in the in the church yep. or in Christianity. Let's just say in Christianity. Um, Francis, Francis of Assisi, uh, he's really known for sort of the, the inclusiveness of animals and trees and nature and everything yes. into our understanding. Yeah. So he, I re, he had a, an experience, a, a, a mystical experience of witnessing Christ being crucified. And he was on a trip as the story goes, to Rome, and he had this experience, and he stopped and returned home and devoted his life to a kind of mystical approach to to everything he did, which included nature as a whole. He just saw the, the energy underwriting everything as being somehow wedded to what Christ was about, and he committed his life to it, even to the point where some people thought he was mad, because he would preach to birds he would talk yes. to famous he, uh, he, there was a kind of um dangerous pantheism sort of emerging in in the, his approach um dangerous in a christian context i want to be clear um but yet he did it and it was unusual and yet of all the mystics throughout time he is the one that he's touted to be the most like christ himself uh, and i think that's really interesting because he was quite radical yeah, yeah, yeah. So is Jesus, apparently. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> the Romans didn't like him at all. Um, you know, when when I was, uh, uh, you know, in Assisi, the thing I'm thinking of actually is his famous prayer, mm-hmm. um, and where he he truly, you know, you know, where there where there's hate, let me sow love; where there's sorrow, let me sow so joy. That poem is the ultimate in dialectical like in opposites of light and darkness. Right. He states dark and takes it to light. And it's, you know, people understood, you know, the, the contrast that he does in that prayer, which is probably why it's so famous to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, of course you can buy it everywhere. I bought it, of course. Uh, but that, that prayer is on my, you know, the wall right beside my, my uh, uh, bathroom mirror kind of thing. In other words, I see it every single day, you know. Um, whether I want to or not that day, there's St. Francis going, hey, you, come here. So, uh, it, it was a very profound experience, actually, being there, because it, it is in a beautifully preserved nature, natural area. Um, mm-hmm. Eckhart, who is he? What does he do? Eckhart was a renowned uh, theologian in his day, and he's still quite controversial um, within the church because he didn't <laughs> see to really toe the line theologically the way some people uh, might like. He dared to suggest that within the human being, there was something of God himself resting, this kind of divine oh, yes, spark. Yes. And that we just need to 
go to it and that God was within and without simultaneously. But this um, bridged the gulf between the creator and the created in a way that felt threatening, I think, to the institution of his time and probably even today. You know, one of the distinctions between um, Eastern mysticism and Western mysticism is that in the East, it's okay to, to feel that you're participating in the divine flow of things as a kind of equal of sorts, that God is, do, God, creation is creating through me. I'm participating um, in it right now. Whereas in right. the West, it's much more of a division. So you never really bridge the gap. There's always uh, an inseparable gulf between the divine. And that gulf is our intellect and our emotion. Right, it very yeah. much and I think Eckhart challenged that, and he was a deeply intellectual person, but I think that was one of his great insights that did prevail to this day. We still wrestle with that. Um, and well, we, we, wrestle that. With, we wrestle with putting into words our own spiritual experience. Right. Because it's a felt experience. It's something we feel and experience yeah. profoundly, deeply, that we can't put into words. Yes. You know? There's something so, beautiful there, there is. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I just was like, so what can we learn today about from these from these mystics, or even about mysticism on our own journey? I think the the mystics, past and present, teach us that if we want to move forward, one of the best ways to do it is to go within and be really clear about what's going on. Own your own life thoroughly, all the stuff you've rejected, all the things that are conflictual, all the turmoil, look at your strengths, radical acceptance. And that yep. is the best launching pad for the future that you want. The mystics made it really clear. Their goal, their highest objective was the ultimate good, but it starts yep. at ground zero, that's you. And that has to start with radical reality. Sure. <laughs> you know. There's a lot of people missing that point right now. <laughs> you know, reality, hmm, yeah, let's just invent something for ourselves. Uh, in order to accept, we have to understand what that reality is. Sure. You know? Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, I love this. This was up. fun. I could just keep talking and talking on this stuff right now, yeah, but we're running out of time. Uh, I just wanted to, you know, uh, mention next week, uh, Alex D will be back, and her and I are going to be talking about, like I mentioned, the, uh, the whole role that religion plays in medicine and the influence that it has. Uh, you know, a classic example right now is the hot button issues like before the, the US Supreme Court is, uh, you know, the, the retesting of the Roe versus Wade and reproductive rights for women. Uh, medically assisted suicide, there's another big hot topic, you know, or hot button topic. Um, but also, we're going to be looking at, uh, as I mentioned earlier, all the religions that were born in the 1800s that, in fact, you know, after the Reformation, 300 years later, we had another spiritual piece that's going on. And is that what's going on today? Who knows? Tune in next week on, on December the 23rd at 8 p.m., and we're going to give you some things worth considering. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. Stay healthy and safe. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Alexia Georgiousis and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time 
on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are. 